Good morning. This morning, uh, we will be in Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3. Half of y'all looking at me like I'm playing a practical joke. No, Zephaniah uh, chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 14 through 17 in this uh, sermon series entitled, Who Am I? We're trying to find God's identity in God's word. Trying to find our identity in God's word. And we open up to Zephaniah, a beautiful poetic passage that describes uh, how God sees us, how God loves us. And uh, so let's read that passage starting in verse 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away all of your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. And never again will you fear any harm. And on that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. And he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Let's pray. Father, I'm just so grateful for this promise and your word today. I'm grateful that even as we sing these praises, these songs that bring you honor and glory, that, Father, you are singing over us. And this morning, as we just try to understand your word clear, we pray that you will just speak to us through your spirit, that you'll open up our hearts and our minds. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Zephaniah is one of those prophets that most of us don't know a whole lot about. But he uh, preached during the reign of Josiah, king of Judah. Josiah was a very interesting king in Judah because he began his reign as king at eight years old. We have any eight-year-olds in the room? Do you see Macy over here? Macy's king. How does that make you feel? He became king at eight years old old. And the worst part about that is he followed his father and grandfather who reigned combined for 75 years, and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They led the people of Israel astray from God and led them into idolatry, led them into evil practice. And let's be honest, 75 years of evil is very hard to overcome. But somehow, this eight-year-old turned things around. A few years into his reign, Josiah began the time of renewal 
and revival for the people of Israel. Now, we all know revival doesn't happen overnight. And after 75 years, there's a lot of stuff happening in the people of Israel. And so, Zephaniah, who's preaching during this time of renewal, during this time of revival, he is still has a message that is strong, that is poignant, that is to the point that God is going to come back and the day of the Lord is approaching and we need to repent and turn our lives back to God. Even in a time of renewal, Zephaniah was preaching for the people to repent and turn back to God. And so the first part of the chapter is all about how Judah needs to get their hearts straight. And then the end of the passage is this, and the end of the book is this beautiful talk about how God, he still loves you. Yeah, you got to get your life straight, but God still loves you. There's a beautiful scene in the, the gospel of Matthew. Jesus goes to John the Baptist and says, I want you to baptize me in the river Jordan. And John the Baptist looks to G Jesus and says, hold up, <laughs> you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. But he does it anyway, he baptizes Jesus, and as Jesus comes up out of the water, we are told in 317 that a voice from heaven cries out, this is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. And then in chapter 4, the next verse we're told that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The first words coming out of the devil's mouth as he addressed Jesus, he called Jesus the Son of God. He says, Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Did you guys notice that very small detail that was missing? God, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, declares to the world that this isn't just his son. This is his beloved son. Isn't that what Satan does? He leaves out the important parts, doesn't he? He's crafty, isn't he? And I believe that what in Satan's most trickery comes when he looks to us and says, oh, you're just a human. You're just a person. And he leaves out the most important part, that you are God's beloved. Reader's Digest tells the story of a man who stopped for a routine seat check, seatbelt check, by a police officer he was asked by the police officer if they had their seatbelts on, and of course they said yes, and then he took his flashlight. He shone it in the back seat where a little boy was sitting, six years old, Riley. And he says, Riley, will you put your hands up, please? Evidently his hands were covering the seatbelt, and he couldn't see that he was buckled up. Well, the, the officer left, let him go on, 
And mom noticed that Riley was really, really upset. He was crying. He was just making kind of a scene. And she said, Riley, what's going on? And he said, I thought the officer was going to shoot me. (laughs) You know, when that flashlight is shown on us, right? Sometimes we get a, a little bit nervous. And folks, that's the preaching of Zephaniah. It's a flashlight that shines into your heart to magnify maybe the sin, magnify the broken relationships, to maybe magnify who you are. And sometimes we get a little nervous before God. And we say, God, don't don't shoot me. I wondered if they... They expected God to come down with fire. But instead, our passage says that God was mighty to save. I wonder if they feared that God would come down with his wrath. But instead, we're told that God takes great delight in them. I wonder if they thought they were going to be zapped by a thunderbolt. But no, God quiets them with his love. Instead, God rejoices over them with singing. It was Jeremiah who was a prophet and a contemporary of Zephaniah. Like Zephaniah, he wrote to the people of Jerusalem, warning them to repent and return to God. But like Zephaniah... He also provides some hope. And in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, it says, I have loved you, he says, with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Friends, when that flashlight is shined on our hearts and our sins are exposed, we need to remember that you are beloved even on your worst days, even in your worst moments. God's love is everlasting. It is unfailing. Your sins might be magnified, but God loves you as his beloved, and his love is bigger than the most magnified of sins. My senior year of college was a really difficult year. I was juggling school, extracurricular activities, work. Jessica and I were preparing to get married, so we were planning our wedding, so we were busy doing that. I worked in a church on the weekend as a youth and worship leader. I had two on-campus jobs. I was heavily involved in student council. Oh, and I was trying to graduate. One of my favorite professors when I went to Johnson was Bob Martin. He's passed away uh, since, but his lectures were deep. And what I loved about Bob Martin is that he was just such a genuine guy who just genuinely loved. He loved deeply. And so it pained me greatly 
when I was unable to complete many of my assignments for his class, Systematic Theology, and it landed me a big fat C in his class. Now, I'd had him as a professor before. This was the lowest grade I've ever received in one of his classes. And at some point towards the end of the semester, he came up to me before graduation, and he told me this, and I can still hear his voice. I'm really disappointed in you. I'm not sure I felt a sting so deep. Have you ever had someone disappointed in you? You know, it really hurts when we mess up. And sometimes we put that on God. Now, I know I'm God's beloved, but I don't feel like I deserve that love. Sometimes the disappointment we have in ourselves overshadows the truth of who we are in God's word. I expect maybe that God is going to be just as disappointed in me as I am. Instead, God says that he is mighty to save. Instead, God takes great delight in me. Instead, God quiets me with his love. Instead, God rejoices over me with singing. You are God's beloved even on your worst days, even in your worst moments. Now, the prophet Isaiah preached long before Jeremiah and Zephaniah during the reigns of Josiah's great-grandfathers. These were years in Israel, the northern kingdom of evil and idolatry. Isaiah had to preach to warn them about their coming doom. And I'm sure many of them felt like I did. They felt like they were unworthy of the love of God. And yet, even in the harshest of preaching, even Isaiah says in 43 verse 1, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Do you hear God's word? You are his. You are his beloved. And sometimes, sometimes our sin affects others. Right? And that makes it hard as well. That makes it difficult. I've told this story before, but I'll confess it again. When I was a child, I had a friend who taught me how to steal. I told my parents I was going to the library, but right next door to the library was the pharmacy. And my friend showed me how to take candy while the pharmacist wasn't looking. I remember going home and feeling so guilty. I'd stolen a small pack of gum and some candy, all worth less than a dollar, but I was convinced if I got caught, my parents would 
would be angry and I would get in trouble and I'd never be able to play with my friends again. So I made things worse and I gave the gum to my sister and told her to hide it. And now I've involved my little sister. I was so struck with guilt, I finally confessed to my dad. And I remember going to the pharmacy. I didn't return the candy, but I paid for it. I apologized to the pharmacist. But sin just seems so amplified when you affect other people with your sin, right? It feels so amplified when I affect other people. And even though my dad forgave me, and even though God forgave me, my sin was amplified. Jesus tells a story about a young man who had sin that affected others. You remember the story of the young man who asked his father for his inheritance early. His father obliged. And of course, he went out and he squandered every penny of it in wild living, we're told. And after he had spent all that he had, there was a famine and he was hungry. And so he sold himself to some pig farmers. He was so hungry that he longed for the pods that the pigs were eating. And he came to his senses and thought, my father's servants live better than I do right now. I'll go home, I'll apologize to my dad, say I'm not worthy to be your son, and maybe he'll hire me as one of his servants. This young man's sin negatively affected his father and his whole family. It brought shame on the whole family. Any other father would have disowned his son, but not this man's father. Scripture says even while he was a long way off, his father saw him and ran to him. He embraced him. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. This young man tried to speak a few of those lines that he had rehearsed, but his father ignored him, and we're told in Luke chapter 15, he says, quick, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf. Let's feast. Let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Do you see how your Father in heaven sees you? You know, I, I feel like my sin is too great. I feel like I've hurt people too deeply. Instead, God is mighty to save. Instead, God takes great delight in you. Instead, God quiets you with his love. Instead, God rejoices over you with singing because you are God's beloved. 
even on your worst days and even on your worst moments, even when your sin is magnified, you are God's beloved. Even when you don't love yourself, you are God's beloved. Even when others don't love you, you are God's beloved. And so Zephaniah has it right. Look again at verse 14. What does he say? Let's celebrate. Right? He says, rejoice. Be glad. And with all of your heart, Christians, lift up your voices. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back the enemy of death. Let's worship together and celebrate. Because we are God's beloved. And what a time we get to do this morning. We're going to worship together with the song, How Great is Our God. And during this time of singing, I'm going to invite you to go to one of these three communion stations and take the cups. On the bottom cup is the bread, and on the top cup is the juice. And I'm going to ask you to hold that and, and think about this time of worship because you are God's beloved. And while we hold these emblems, Dale's going to come up and share a few thoughts, and we'll take this together and worship as we celebrate. Let's pray together. Father God, I am just so grateful to celebrate with my friends and family this morning who have gathered here to worship your great name, to remember the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, and we do so with grateful hearts. Thank you for the reminder in your word today that we are your beloved. As we sing, I pray, Father, that we can imagine you singing over us. Imagine you showing your great love in that way. And so with grateful hearts, we celebrate together as we commune, thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.